0: Welcome back to the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Kyle Brown, and I am here again with Dr. Michael Woods of the Asian Turfgrass Center, and we're talking about more sustainability today. We we had a great discussion about potassium the last time we talked, and we want to touch on another angle of the sustainability concept. Now, this is something that every golf course runs into whenever they're deciding what turf grass to run or, or what kind of conversion they want to do in their, in their plans for the upcoming years. And the selection of turf grass makes a big difference as to how sustainable a course really can be. So let's go ahead and get started talking about this. How are you doing today, Dr. Woods? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the program. It's good to have you back. Let's get started talking about turf grass selection here. This is a really important topic for every golf course. And you know some, some courses can be very particular about the ones they have. In our discussions about this earlier, you've talked about how when it comes to grass selection, the species that doesn't die is the one that's the most sustainable. And that's what we should be looking at. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you mean?
1: Yes. It seems like common sense to me. And it's something that I've noticed as I travel around a lot. I get to travel to many countries and, and see grass growing in in many different environments and what I find is the grasses that grow in the wild and don't die in a particular location are also the grasses that seem to be the ones that on the golf course provide a good playing surface with a minimum amount of inputs so if they have fewer inputs, less mowing, less fertilizer, less water requirement then they would be more sustainable and What I find is the grasses that grow in the wild, meaning they do not die in an unmanaged environment, they really seem to excel as a sustainable turf in a managed environment on the golf course.
0: Let's take this to kind of a practical level, you know, where you're at right now in Asia. This has to be a really big topic of discussion. Can you kind of give me an insight into what that discussion looks like there?
1: It really is a big topic. In fact, I just spoke about this at a conference in Malaysia last week and it's something that people often want to talk about because what happened here in the 1990s when the first golf boom kind of happened in Southeast Asia and hundreds of courses were built for the most part they were planted with hybrid Bermuda grass, and over the past 20 years we've seen that that grass just didn't perform as well as it might have so a lot of courses say 10 years ago or so started changing over to Paspalum that grass performs well in in certain environments here and then a lot of new courses started to be planted to seashore paspalum, but now there's been a few new courses that are planted to zoysia, which is a native grass here, and those grasses seem to be really having good playing conditions with a minimum amount of input. So it's something that people really are looking at, and we've seen a big change in the type of grasses that are used in Southeast Asia over the past 20 years or so
0: it's a discussion that we've seen a lot here as well on our side of the ocean. I'm kind of curious, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, one of your definitions for sustainability is being able to quantifiably reduce inputs. And a really good way of doing that is by reducing acreage. So, and that's something that a lot of superintendents here are definitely doing. Everyone's cutting back in in the the playable areas and things like that. You brought up a really interesting point about using particular types of turf grass on anything but on the greens themselves. So the choice that you make about what kind of turf grass is in the rough makes a big difference as well. Can you tell me a little
1: bit about that? Right, that's a very good point because I talk about what grows in the wild and that's interesting of course, but we are playing a sport. We need to have a certain level of playing surface and so sometimes the type of species that grows without maintenance may not actually provide the the putting surface that we would require. But if we look at the golf course acreage, we'll find that on average golf course, I think it's something like 2% of the land area is putting green, and about 98% of the land area would be tees, fairways, and roughs, what we would call through the green. Yet if we look at the golf shots, more than 50% of the shots are either going to be played to the green or they're going to be shots that are played on the green. We have a very high use area, the putting green, that we must maintain to a high level no matter what kind of grass is there, but it only occupies 2% of the land area. So I'm not so concerned about what grass we use on the putting green because no matter what type of grass we use, because it's such a high traffic area, in such an important area, we are going to maintain it to a high standard. But for the other 98% of the area, if we could use a grass that requires a little bit less water, or maybe one less mowing per week, or a significant reduction in pesticide requirement, due to, let's say, better resistance to weed invasion or tolerance of certain diseases or resistance to insects, if we can do that on 98% of the area of the golf course, we start to make a serious reduction in inputs, which makes it much more sustainable. If I could give an example of that, there's Banyang Golf Club here in Thailand that's used zoysia matrella, manila grass on their fairways and rough and in Thailand there's a dry season of about six months duration where there's very little rainfall and they find that in their rough they really cut back on the irrigation because this manila grass is native it doesn't die even if you don't put water on it and so they're able to mow the rough during the dry season one or two times a month and still produce a very excellent surface because the grass just isn't growing but if we were having seashore paspalum in the rough, we would have to irrigate that to a level where it would be actively growing. We would have to mow it two or three times a week. So we would be looking at eight, nine, ten, maybe up to twelve times of mowing the rough per month compared to one or two times with with the manila grass.
0: It's actually just
1: more prudent to look for something that just survives well. If we have something that doesn't die, if if we have something that will survive in that environment, it gives us a, a, a number of options when we maintain it. So we can put water on it and make it grow, or we can withhold water and allow it to not grow, but it won't die. We could mow it short, or we could mow it high, and it won't die. We can put a lot of fertilizer on it to make it green and actively growing, or we could withhold fertilizer so it grows more slowly, and it won't die. But if we have a grass like poa annua, Poa annua, if we don't manage it, it will die. And so we can compare grass like Poa annua versus creeping bent grass. And I just saw a blog post about covering greens in Minnesota in, in the winter, and they're trying to grow, at that golf course they're trying to grow creeping bent grass, but they have a small amount of Poa annua that can come in during the spring, summer, and autumn, and they said we're not going to cover the greens, because the poa annua will die in the winter if we don't cover, and the creeping back grass will survive. And so if you're trying to manage poa annua in that environment, you have to cover it. You have to do a number of things that require quantifiably more inputs in order to manage that grass compared to a grass that will grow in the wild in that environment like creeping back grass.
0: Well, it's definitely something that superintendents need to keep in mind as they're making selections and talking with their committees as well then. So uh, is there anything else that you'd want to add to this?
1: I've written an article about this that's on the RNA website. If people go to my website, AsianTurfgrass.com, they can find links to, to those articles about grass selection. And You know, I've talked quite a bit about warm season grass selection and kind of how it's re- related in some sort of tropical environment. I can promise you the same principles that I've talked about here would apply no matter what type of climate or environment you're in.
0: Yeah, we've always got to be able to make uh, good choices about the turf that we've got. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Dr. Woods. Thank you. It was my pleasure.